start a brand new series of messages today. Anybody thankful for that? We're going to talk about relationships in this series, and this series is called It's Complicated. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, it's complicated. Turn to your second choice and say, for you too. And I'm looking forward to diving into God's Word on this Mother's Day. You can find a seat today. And if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to go to the book of Ruth today. Ruth. No matter what your relationship status might be, I believe that there is great value in the Word of God. And I believe that there is great value in us studying a book of the Bible. And that's exactly what we're going to do for the next several weeks is study the book of Ruth. And this is a story of redemption. It's a story of salvation. It's a story of God's love. It's really a story that has many practical admonitions for our relationships. And so uh, we're going to be diving into this book, and I'm excited about it. I want to encourage you to read the story, to read the book of Ruth uh, throughout this series and ask God to show you some things that perhaps you've never seen before. And again, on this Mother's Day, I wanted to make mention of uh, in uh, the family room today, so right outside on your left, we have a camera set up and a photo backdrop, and so it's an opportunity for you to get some family pictures today, and I want to encourage you to take advantage of that on this Mother's Day. Well, Ruth chapter number one is where we're going to be. If you are ready, and really if you are ready, to dive into God's Word today, would you say amen? All right. Verse number one of Ruth chapter one. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. Everybody say famine. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab, and they continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left of her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Kilion died also of both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return. Everybody say return. To return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. For a few minutes this morning, I want to speak to this subject, the way back home the way back home. Let's have a word of prayer together. God, thank you for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this time that we have to come together and to study your word. Lord, thank you for all of the mothers represented in the room today. And Lord, their love for their children and the sacrifice that they make. God, I pray that you would put a hand of blessing upon them and that they would recognize that your grace is sufficient for them. And Lord, I pray that as today we look to this uh, chapter in this new book study that we're studying today. God, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. Give us, give us uh, the, the, the thoughts that we need today to uh, glean this text together. 
And uh, Lord, I pray that you be pleased with our time together. And we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, how many of you enjoy traveling? Can I see your hands? You enjoy traveling? How many of you would say you're more of a homebody? You like to just kind of stay at home? I remember when I was in junior high, I went on one of my first ever missions trips. And we went to the Philippines. And I remember on this particular trip that I felt so far from home. And uh, it's a 15-hour flight uh, to go to the Philippines. And uh, when you get there, uh, there's a long drive to the church that you're going to be ministering at. And then we drove a couple hours up into some villages in the mountains. And just feeling like you're in a very remote place, feeling very far from home. But it's a great experience. And in fact, if you've never gone on a missions trip, uh, we're planning one, Lord willing, next year. We'll talk more about that, but I'm looking forward to that. But if you've never been on a missions trip, it's a great opportunity uh, for you to do a couple of things. One, to see how blessed we really are to recognize how good God is to us and to see how other people are living in other parts of the world. And also it instills uh, within you a burden for the lost and a burden to reach people with the gospel. And really also it opens your mind and uh, it gives you an opportunity to be grateful uh, for the things that, that you have. And so uh, we were on this mission trip. It went great. We had a great time. We got back on the plane. We were uh, flying home and I was kind of surprised when we landed because as soon as we landed, my whole section on the plane just started to cheer and started to clap and to erupt into this celebration because they were so happy to be back home. And uh, they were cheering. In fact, one person on our trip, he was so homesick and missed his family so much on that trip that literally he got out of the plane at LAX and he got on the ground and he kissed the ground at LAX. Uh, how many of you know that you really have to be homesick to kiss the ground at LAX? You know what I'm talking about. And uh, that is a dirty place. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but he was very homesick. And then we, we did uh, what you should always do when coming home internationally. The first stop is In-N-Out Burger because nothing feels like home than eating an In-N-Out Burger. Is anybody with me on that this morning? Okay, thank you so much. All the, all the spiritual people in the room. And uh, we made our way safely back home. You know, the Bible often speaks about the importance of returning home. Perhaps the most famous example of this is the story of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son goes out and he lives a riotous lifestyle and he spends all of his father's money. He spends his inheritance. But the Bible chronicles how he returns home. The Bible says this in Luke chapter 15 and verse 17. And when he came to himself, and I love that phrase, that there was a moment in time when he came to himself when he realized, I'm not on the path that I need to be on. And he came to himself and he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And so eventually the prodigal son, he finds his way back home. He says, I've wandered off and I've lived a life of sin and I've done some things that I shouldn't do, but I'm finding my way back home. Now, all of us today are prone to wander. We're all prone to drift spiritually and to kind of get off the path uh, that God has for us. The question is not if we will wander. The question is, do we know how to get back home? Do we know how to return to the place of God's will and to return to the place of God's blessing? By the way, uh, can I just encourage you on this Mother's Day that no matter how far you have run, no matter how far you have drifted, no matter how lost you might be, that God as a loving heavenly father is standing with outstretched arms waiting for you and ready to welcome you home. That's how much God loves us. And so if Luke chapter 15 is the story of the prodigal son, then Ruth chapter number one is a story of a prodigal family. 
Because it's a family that leaves the place of God's blessing, that leaves the place of God's will. But Ruth chapter 1 details and chronicles how some of them return back home, how some of them return back to uh, the place of blessing. Now, uh, the book of Ruth is filled with all kinds of complex relationships, uh, all kinds of relational statuses uh, represented in the book of Ruth. There's uh, singleness. There's people that are married, uh, there's remarriage, there's all kinds of family drama and, and complexities when it comes to the relationships in the book of Ruth, much like our culture today. Uh, have you noticed today that many of our relationships are getting more and more complex, more and more shallow, more and more superficial, drifting further and further away from God's word? Has anybody noticed that uh, in our culture today when it comes to our relationships? I was reading recently that Las Vegas is the uh, wedding ceremony capital of the world. In just last year, 44,000 couples got married in Las Vegas. One of the most popular venues in Las Vegas to get married at is the Taco Bell on the Las Vegas Strip. Because a couple of years ago, uh, they introduced a wedding chapel in that Taco Bell. And so you can go in and order a cheesy gordita crunch and a burrito supreme, and you can get married at the same time. That's what you call a win-win-win right there, right? But it's no wonder that our relationships are struggling we have cheapened and diminished the God-given roles and assignments that we see in Scripture when it comes to our relationships. And so today, what I believe that we need to do is to find our way back home, to, to find our way back to Scripture, to see what the Bible has to say about our relationships, to see what the Bible has to say about our home lives. In fact, uh, Paul took this so seriously when he wrote to Timothy. He said this in 1 Timothy 5 eight. but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And so what is Paul saying to Timothy? You better pay very close attention how you treat your home life and how you curate your home and what kind of home you are building. Uh, you better take this subject seriously. And so today as we dive into Ruth chapter 1, I want to give us three ways that we can find our way back home. Would that be all right this morning? Three ways that we can find our way back home. Number one is this. We have to prioritize that which is spiritual. Prioritize that which is spiritual. Now, I don't know if you've noticed or if you've been paying attention, but we live in a very consumeristic, materialistic, and hedonistic culture where it's all about me, all about what I want, my pleasures, and what is going to make me happy. And it's in a day where we are, uh, where we are so focused on the material that we have to get back to prioritizing that which is spiritual. Now, I want to pick up the text in verse number one, and I want to encourage you to keep your Bible ready and open today as we go through this text together. Many of the verses will be on the screen, but I want to encourage you to follow along. Notice verse number one. It says this. Now, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Now, we have to pause right there because this was a terrible time in human history. The days when the judges ruled was the worst of the worst. There was no king in Israel. In fact, if you want a summary of what life was like during this time, read the last verse in the book of Judges, probably on the same page in your Bible. It says that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That everybody just did what they thought was right. Everybody did what they wanted to do. And if you want an even more vivid and in-depth picture of what that looks like, later on today, read Judges chapter 19, and it will horrify you. It's a terrible, terrible time in human history. And so this was a time when everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. And because of that, notice what verse number one says in our text, that there was a famine in the land. And so this is one of 13 famines recorded in Scripture. There was a famine in the land, but if we keep on reading, it says this, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah. And so the famine was in Bethlehem. Now, there's a lot of irony in the book of Ruth, uh, one of which is the name Bethlehem literally means house of bread. 
And so here they are in the house of bread, and everyone is starving to death. See, what happened was, because of the sin and the devastation and the wickedness of the land, a place that was supposed to be a place of fruitfulness turned into a place of famine. By the way, can I tell you today that that's exactly what sin does in our lives? It takes a place of fruitfulness, and it turns it into a place of famine. It takes a place of blessing, and it turns it into a place of barrenness. And so we see that this was the time when the judges ruled, a terrible time in history. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. And now there's a famine in the land in Bethlehem in the house of bread. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, verse 1, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife, and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of the wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion. I know these kind of sound like Star Wars names, but just bear with me. Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab, and they continued there. So a lot happens in these two verses. We're introduced to this one particular family that was living in Bethlehem, the house of bread. You have the father and the husband, Elimelech. The name Elimelech means my God is king. It was a good name. It was a strong name. It was a name that carried with it a testimony. And so everywhere Elimelech went, they recognized that he uh, worshiped the one true God. My God is king. Elimelech is married to a woman named Naomi. The name Naomi means pleasant. She was very pleasant. She was just someone that, that, that you wanted to be around. Have you ever met someone that was just always pleasant? They were always smiling, always encouraging, always kind of nice to be around. Anybody know anyone like that? Oh, only, only a few people. Okay, we need to have some more friends that are made. And, uh, and so Elimelech, his name means uh, my God is king. And then you have Naomi, and her name means pleasant. And so you have this strong couple, right? You have this power couple. You have a, a strong husband, Elimelech, and you, have, and you have Naomi, pleasant. And they were just a great couple. They're two sons, Malon and Kilion. The name Malon means unhealthy. And the name Kilion means puny. And so most commentators believe that their children suckle, uh, suffered from some sort of physical infirmity. And so you have, you have this strong couple, Elimelech and Naomi, and you have two children that were unhealthy, Malon and Kilion. And so this was a time of difficulty for uh, the parents, but not only that, this was a time of famine. It was a time when they were desperate for food. And so they were going through a difficult season. And what Elimelech does, what we read in verses 1 and 2, is Elimelech makes a decision for his family to leave the place of Bethlehem, the house of bread, to go 50 miles away to the city of Moab. Now, why did he make this decision? There was a famine in the land. He wanted to have food. Is everybody tracking with me so far this morning? And so Elimelech makes this, this decision. We're going to move from Bethlehem to Moab 50 miles away. Now, on paper, this move made sense in every way. This was an economic decision. This was a family decision. This was even a sensible decision. But here's what I want you to see this morning. It was not a spiritual decision. Because nowhere in the process do you see Elimelech, my God is king, seeking his God. Nowhere in the process is Elimelech asking God what he should do. And so what Elimelech is doing is he's taking matters into his own hands, and what he is doing is prioritizing the material over the spiritual. Now today, I know that you have physical needs. I know that we have material needs. I know that we need some things in life, financial needs, and there are burdens in life. But can I tell you that the Bible still says to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you? What I'm trying to communicate to you today is that if you are serious about your relationships, then you will prioritize that which is spiritual. This is why Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will be successful. 
He didn't say, as for me and my house, we will be satisfied. He didn't say, as for me and my house, we're going to go to the best schools and get the best grades. Those are great things. But that's not what he said. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What was the main priority in Joshua's life? That which was spiritual. (laughs) And so Elimelech here, he is making this decision based on a material need. Now, you might be thinking on a practical level, what's the big deal? Uh, What's the big deal with Elimelech going to Moab? Well, Moab was no place for God's people. Uh, in fact, the Bible says in Psalm 108, I think we have the verse today on the screen, Psalm 108, verse 9, Moab is my wash pot. In other words, Moab was referred to as God's garbage can. Why was it referred to as God's wash pot or God's garbage can? Uh, because the city of Moab, uh, this place of Moab was founded upon Lot having an incestual relationship with his oldest daughter. This was a wicked and horrible place, Moab. They, they worshipped the false god Kadesh, who was an advocate for child sacrifice. Which, by the way, today we have to pause and understand today that our God has a sincere love and great love and great heart for children. And that includes the unborn. And so today when we read about and when we see what's happening in our world and culture today, we have to remember Jeremiah 1.5. God told Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations long before Jeremiah was ever even born. God had a plan and a purpose and loved him with an everlasting love. And so this was a culture in Moab that had a complete disregard for children. And today we ought to be reminded about how much God loves children and how much we should be an advocate and to speak up for those that cannot defend themselves. And so we see that this was a wicked, terrible place. And Elimelech decides to go to Moab, not for spiritual reasons, for economic reasons. Now, again, you might be thinking, well, what was he supposed to do? Isn't it the loving thing to take care of your family? But what was Elimelech supposed to do in this situation? Well, if Elimelech would have paused and just prayed and sought God, uh, there was some alternatives that Elimelech could have thought of. Namely, when we're going to read in the next chapter, he had a very wealthy relative named Boaz. Uh, Boaz was a wealthy man who owned land and fields and had a lot of people working for him, and undoubtedly Boaz could have helped provide for him financially. But Elimelech was so stuck on what was right in front of him, he couldn't see the whole picture. You know, a lot of times we live in that space. Uh, I like to use in my car, Apple Maps. And uh, I've talked about this before. It doesn't matter if I'm going to a place that I've been a hundred times. I always use Apple Maps because you never know what the traffic is going to be, especially on the 210. How many of you know what I'm talking about there? And so it can be frustrating. And so I always type in the maps and I want to see and uh, uh, where I'm going and how long it's going to take. And it'll always show the next step. But I love that little button in the upper right-hand corner that says overview, that overview button, because you can click that button, and it'll zoom out, and you can see all the traffic as a whole. You know, a lot of times what we need to do is stop being so concentrated on what is right in front of us and ask God to broaden our perspective and to give us a spiritual overview because there just might be an alternative to the problem that you're facing. God might have another way for you. And so uh, what Elimelech does is he is hyper-concentrated on what is right in front of him, and he does not seek God in this decision-making process. Henry Blackaby says this, God doesn't want people to do what they think is best. He wants them to do what he knows is best, and no amount of reasoning and intellectualizing will discover that. And so it's not just about what we think and what we want to do. It's about what God wants to do uh, through us. Now, let's notice verse number three. Everybody stay with me today. And so this family makes this move, verse 3. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. The whole reason 
they made the move was to survive. And Elimelech dies. This, this, this story is tragic right up front. I know it's not super encouraging yet on Mother's Day, but just hang with me. We're going to get there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. And the name of the one was Orpah. And the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelled there about 10 years. And Malon and Kilion died also. Again, the whole reason they moved was for protection and safety. The sons die also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. So now here's Naomi. She's a widow and she's childless. She's hurting. Remember, this is pleasant Naomi, the one that had always had an, a positive out, outlook on life. And now she's in this hurting situation, broken. And we're learning today that we must prioritize that which is spiritual. But then this leads us to our second thought today. Number two is this. We have to consider our motives. So prioritize that which is spiritual, but then consider your motives. How many of you have ever done the right thing with the wrong motive? Anybody honest enough to admit that today? You did the right thing with the wrong motive? I remember when I was in high school, I was getting uh, in a little bit of trouble because uh, I, I was kind of running late to some of my classes, and, and uh, I was having a little bit of problems with some of my teachers. Nothing major, uh, but I was getting in trouble enough and having enough meetings that I was close to getting kicked off of the basketball team when I was in high school, and, uh, and I did not want that to happen, and so I decided I needed to do something about this. I don't want to get kicked off the basketball team, and so what I decided to do was to start a prayer meeting with my friends. That was a good thing. How many of you would say that's a good thing to start a prayer meeting? I went to a Christian school, and so I decided we're going to start a prayer meeting during lunch. Uh, but we decided to start this prayer meeting right outside of the teacher's lounge where all the teachers could see us because I wanted to kind of help my reputation a little bit, right? And look at that. Uh, Matt is starting a prayer meeting. Now, that was a good thing. But not for the right motives. I just didn't want to get kicked off of uh, the basketball team. And if we're not careful, a lot of times in life, we can do the right thing with the wrong motive. We can do the right thing with the wrong heart. Now, we come to this section of Scripture where everything is about to change. It starts out kind of discouraging. You have famine, and you have death, and you have uh, drifting from the will of God. But now in verse number 6, everything is about to turn for the better with a decision that Naomi makes to move back to Bethlehem. Everybody tracking with me so far today? Let's pick it up in verse number 6. It says this. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Now, this is extremely important. It's the first time God is mentioned in the book of Ruth. God is mentioned 23 times in the book of Ruth. 21 times he is mentioned in the mouths of the characters of the book. Only two times is God mentioned by the unknown author of the book of Ruth. And both times the unknown author of the book of Ruth mentions the Lord. It is associated with blessing. The first time God is mentioned is that he has returned bread to the house of bread in Bethlehem, restoring food because of his grace back to Bethlehem. The second time God is mentioned by the human author of the book of Ruth, it's talking about when Ruth conceives a child. Again, speaking of God's blessing. And here's what I want you to know today. Even in the midst of famine, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of adversity, God is still good. Even in the midst of pandemic, even in the midst of turmoil, even in the midst of great sorrow, God is still good. 
He still loves us. He still has a plan for us. God is always in control. He is always good. It's easy to find things to complain about in life, but when was the last time you paused and you praised the fact that he is good and his mercy endures forever? Verse 6, that God restored bread to Bethlehem, showing his goodness, uh, showing his grace uh, in this city once again. Now, this was a great message that Naomi received, uh, that, that bread was being restored to Bethlehem. And I want, you to tell, tell you, I want to tell you something, that the only reason that Naomi heard this message was because somebody, somewhere, communicated it. Somebody said, wow, there is food, there's bread back in Bethlehem. And somebody communicated that message 50 miles away in the city of Moab. This was a great message about bread being restored. Can I tell you today that we have a message that is worth sharing as well? And that message is not about physical bread. That message is about the bread of life. And anyone that is hungry can come to him. Anyone that is thirsting can come to him. And they will never be thirsty again. This is a message that is worth sharing. This is a message that is worth communicating to our city today. This is why the mission statement of this church is reaching people with a life-giving, and life-changing message of Jesus because we have a message that is worth sharing. And so they received this message. Wow, food is back in Bethlehem. That was the message that Naomi received, but it was also her motive. In other words, why did Naomi go back to Bethlehem? Because there was food there. Did Naomi go back to Bethlehem because she wanted to get back on track and worship the Lord? Most likely not. Because if you read the story, she was bitter, she was angry, she was upset with God. And so here we have Naomi making the right decision with the wrong motive. Why do you do what you do? Do you come and serve on Sundays because it's an obligation or because you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul? Do you tithe because of conscience or because of Christ? Do we show up on Sunday to worship the Lord because we want to give him everything that we have, or are we just simply looking to get something on our own? Why do we do what we do? You know, the Bible has this interesting verse in 2 Chronicles 25, verse number 1. Uh, it talks about a man named Amaziah. Everybody doing okay this morning? 2 Chronicles 25, verse number 1. Amaziah was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign. So he's 25. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jehoiadin of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But not with a perfect heart. In other words, he had the right actions, but he had the wrong attitude. A lot of times we can find ourselves in a place spiritually where we're doing the right things, but our heart's in the wrong place. We have the wrong motive. We have the wrong attitude. Can I encourage you to check your motives today, to consider your motives? Hey, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Is it because I love the Lord, my God, with all my heart and soul? See, it looked like, it could have looked like from an outward perspective that Naomi was coming to Bethlehem to worship. I'm returning back to Bethlehem to worship the one true God. But what looked like worshiping was actually just wanting. We have to be careful that what looks like worshiping in our lives is not just something that we want in a transactional return from God. And so we have to prioritize that which is spiritual, and then we have to consider our motives. And this leads us to a third thought today. Number three is this. Go forward with unwavering commitment. We have to be willing to move forward with unwavering commitment. And we're going to see Ruth make a decision here to return 
back home with Naomi, to find her way back home with Naomi. This was a huge decision, as we'll see. This was a very important decision, a very spiritual decision for Ruth to return with Naomi that involved unwavering commitment. Now, the reason I say that this involved unwavering commitment is because Ruth had to pass three tests on this return back home, three specific tests, and I believe that all of us are going to face these tests in life, and so I want to give them to you this morning. The first test is the test of prosperity. The test of prosperity. Notice what the Bible says in verse number seven. It says this, wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law. So Naomi leaves with Orpah and Ruth. They're going back to Bethlehem. They're finding their way back home. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt uh, with the dead and with me. And the Lord, verse 9, grant you that you may find rest, each one of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice, and they wept. And so here they are. They're making the decision to go back to Bethlehem. And Naomi pauses, and she looks at her daughters-in-law, and she says, you guys need to stay here. Why? Stay here because you can find rest here. It'll be easier for you to find husbands. You can keep your life. There's nothing for you in Bethlehem. Hey, just stay here. It's going to be the safe place to be. Uh, As we'll see that uh, that the uh, Moabites and the Israelites, they hated each other. And so Naomi was saying, hey, you don't want to come here. It's not going to be safe. Just stay here where you can find rest, where you can find protection, where you can find safety. This is the best option. This is the easiest option. You know, a lot of times in our lives, it's, it's our first natural kind of human inclination to choose the path of least resistance. If something is going to be difficult for us, we kind of shy away from that adversity and difficulty. And Naomi was saying, hey, it's too hard. You don't want to make this journey with me. It's not going to be easy. You've got to stay here. I was reading recently, there was, back in uh, uh, the 1980s, in the late 80s, there was a group of entrepreneurs and engineers and scientists that they built this uh, artificial ecosystem in the deserts of Oracle, uh, Oracle, Arizona. I think we have a picture today of this ecosystem. And what they wanted to do was they wanted to build the perfect most conducive environment for plant life. And so it was the perfect nutrient-rich soil, clean air, clean water, the exact amount of sunlight, and they wanted to produce uh, the most uh, beautiful and perfect environment for growth in this plant life. But what they discovered was as these trees started to grow in this place, the trees would grow uh, in this self-contained artificial ecosystem, and they would reach a certain point, and then the trees would fall over and die. And they were perplexed about this at first, but they discovered that there was one necessary ingredient for a vital uh, health life in a tree, and that ingredient is wind. The trees needed wind in order to survive because out in the natural environment, when the wind is blowing against the trees, it'll actually produce stronger bark and allow the trees to dig deeper roots. And so what they discovered was the safest environment is not actually the best environment for growth. Can I tell you today that God did not design you to live in a spiritual, safe ecosystem where you're never going to have any problems, never going to encounter any adversity in life. God did not save you to play it safe. God did not save you to mitigate risk and to minimize adversity and difficulty in life. No, sometimes we need the wind. We need the adversity because God has called us to be stronger because of it. And so I want to encourage you today that we have to step out by faith even when it's uncomfortable, even when it might seem like there's a risk to say, I'm willing to do whatever God wants me to do even when it's uncomfortable. (laughs) Naomi was saying to Ruth, stay here. It's safe. You'll be safe here. You'll find rest here but that was not the place where she needed to be to grow spiritually. 
And so she had to pass this test of prosperity. Do I just want to live in this spiritual ecosystem where everything is going to be perfect? I'm never going to encounter any problems? Or am I going to step forward and do what God wants me to do? And so uh, that was the first test. Notice verse number 10. And they said unto her, surely we will return unto thy people. So they passed the first test. Even Orpah said, hey, we're going to go with you, and uh, we're going to head uh, back to Bethlehem. Verse number 11. And Naomi said, turn again, my daughters-in-law. Why will you go with me? And are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your uh, husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband and also tonight and, and should bear also sons, would you tarry with them till they were grown? Uh, would you stay with uh, would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, what the second test that they had to pass was this te- test of perplexity. So they passed the test of prosperity. She said, stay here, it'll be safe. But now is the test of uh, perplexity. Uh, Naomi is pre- presenting a perplexing problem. And what she is doing in this text is she's referring to something in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25. It's the Levirate Law. And basically what the law said in the Old Testament was, if you are a widow and your husband died, then it was the responsibility of your brother to take care of you and to take care of your family. And so Naomi is saying, hey, Malon and Kilion died. I don't have any more sons to take care of you. And even if I were to get married today and have more sons, are you going to wait till they're grown to take care of you? Uh, no, that's not going to happen. You need to go uh, so that you can start your own family, so that you can live your own lives. S- stay here so that you can do that. Naomi was saying, if you come with me, I can't promise you protection. I can't promise you a family. I can't promise you children. And so you need to stay here. And she was saying, you're going to miss out on so many wonderful things in life if you come with me. By the way, the devil always wants us to believe that following Jesus and following his will, we're going to miss out on some things in life. That we have this kind of spiritual FOMO, the fear of missing out. If I really get serious about the Lord, then I'm going to miss out on so many blessings. But can I tell you that nothing could be further from the truth? Because Ruth did end up going with Naomi. Ruth did end up meeting Boaz, getting married and having children. And not just any children, children that would be in the very line of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you today that God's plan is always better than our plan. And that God can see things that we cannot see. And so we have to have the ability to step forward with unwavering commitment. To to, to pass the test of prosperity. And to pass the test of perplexity. When things don't make sense. And I don't know how I'm going to find provision. And I don't know how it's all going to work out. I'm going to be faithful anyways. Now, this leads us to the last test. Number three is this, the test of popularity. Now, I want you to see it in verse number 14. It says this, and they lifted up their voice and wept again. There was a lot of weeping, uh, a lot of crying. By the way, uh, never make a permanent decision based on a temporary emotion. Am I preaching to anybody today? Never make a permanent decision based on a temporary emotion. A lot of times we get caught up in the emotion of the moment and we end up making a decision that sticks with us the rest of our lives. Ask Esau. And so we shouldn't make these decisions based on temporary emotions. Now, uh, they lifted up their voice and they wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. It's the same word that we see in Genesis, to leave father and mother and to cleave unto your spouse. It's a strong word. It means to adhere like glue. Uh, Ruth said, I'm staying with you. Now, notice verse number 15. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Here was the test of popularity. Orpah's doing it. Ruth, stay here. It's the best plan. It's the most safe. You can have a future. You can have a life. And look, even Orpah, your sister-in-law, she's doing it. 
When it comes to our relationships, we ought to never take our cues from the world around us. Never fall into this trap of thinking, well, they're doing it and they seem fine and they're sleeping around and it seems like they're, they're having a good time and there's no problems there and they're doing what they want to do and they're not in a small group and they seem fine. And don't take your relational cues from the people around you. The Bible says those that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. This was the test of popularity. Well, the world around me is doing it. Orpah's doing it. By the way, at this point in the narrative, are you surprised at how hard Naomi is trying to get her daughters-in-law to stay? So much to the point where she is encouraging, watch this, Naomi is encouraging idol worship. Look at verse 15. And she said, behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. And then she says, go with her. Why would Naomi do that? Go and worship false idols, can you imagine? I remember one time I was in high school and I was at a youth camp and there was a couple of uh, rebellious, uh, uh, you could say teenagers that were sitting in the back, they didn't want to be there. Someone made them go to camp and they were just, uh, they, they were there because they had to be there. And the preacher was up and he was preaching and he preached a gospel message. He was preaching salvation. And he said, he said, if you want to get saved, if you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to encourage you right now, be bold, step out of this aisle, come forward to the front and you can pray and receive Jesus Christ as your savior. I was standing in the back, I was watching and uh, there was these two teenage girls that were sitting on the back row and one of the friends uh, that was ready, you could tell the Holy Spirit was working on her life because she looked uncomfortable and she stepped out to go and to pray and accept Christ and her friend that was sitting next to her grabbed her and held her as if to say don't you dare go forward can you imagine don't go and accept Christ essentially here's Naomi go worship false gods why would she do this go worship false gods don't come with me I believe it's because Orpah and Ruth, Ruth were living proof that Naomi's sons married Moabite women. And so to show up back in Bethlehem with Moabite women, that was her sin being exposed. And so Naomi wanted them to stay to cover up her own sin. So often in life, we're afraid of conviction we're afraid of our sin being exposed, and so we hide and we cover up. But a life of hiding will never lead to a life of healing. Naomi says, stay here. You can't come. So Orpah says, okay. She goes back. But then Ruth makes an unwavering commitment. And I want you to see it. We're going to read this next verse. These are, this is the first time that Ruth speaks in the whole book. Very powerful words. In fact, for years, these words have been used in, in marriage ceremonies which is always kind of funny to me because it's actually from a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law. Can you imagine at a wedding, one of the, 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 the husband or the wife saying, you know, I just want to say something to my mother-in-law. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's the context. Notice what she says. Verse 16. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. He says, Naomi, wherever you go, I'm going with you. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Wherever you live, I'm going to live. And thy people shall be my people. Talking about her relationships. That was a big statement because, again, the Moabites hated the Israelites. The Israelites hated the Moabites. And so for Ruth to say, as a Moabite woman, I'm going to love your people. Your people are going to be my people. That was a huge decision. And then she says this in verse 16. And thy God, my God. This was her conversion moment. 
She says, Naomi, this is bigger than just family. Your God is going to be my God. I'm going to turn from the God Kadesh that I grew up worshiping in Moab, and I'm going to start worshiping the one true God, Yahweh. Your God will be my God. This was her conversion moment. Notice verse 17. Where thou diest, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and the more also if I ought but death part thee in me. She says, you know what? I'm going with you no matter what. There's no turning back. I'm following the one true God. I'm going with you. I'm going to pass the test of perplexity and prosperity. I'm going to move forward with unwavering commitment. Now, notice Naomi's response. I want to read a few more verses today, and we'll be done. Notice verse 18. And when she saw that she was steadfastly minded, she was resolved in her disposition. Can I encourage you? There ought to be some convictions that you have in life that you are resolved in your mindset. That you're not going to bend on certain things. You're going to have some non-negotiables in life. Just like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hey, as a parent today, as a father, as a mother, what are your non-negotiables for your children? Ruth had this kind of unshakable commitment. And so Naomi, she, she didn't even respond to that beautiful, poetic commitment that Ruth gave. And she just left from speaking unto her, verse 18. She just didn't even respond. Verse 19. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. In the Hebrew language, it's the word commotion. It means there was a huge commotion when Naomi and Ruth came back. Everybody, did you see Naomi was here? Pleasant is back. She doesn't look pleasant anymore, but did you see Naomi? She's back. And, and uh, did, who's that girl with her? And uh, she has some girl with her. And where's Elimelech? What happened to Malon? What happened to Kilion? Uh, did you see? Did you hear? There was a huge commotion in Bethlehem. Verse 20. And she said unto them, call me not Naomi. Stop calling me pleasant. That was who I was 10 years ago. Not anymore. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Lord Almighty, El Shaddai, uh, hath dealt very bitterly with me. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. What a great testimony to a new convert, Ruth. Ruth is like, your God will be my God. And, and Naomi's like, yeah, well, my God's dealt pretty bad with me. She was broken. And she also had a skewed perspective. I want you to see it. In verse 21, she said, I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Do you see how her perspective is skewed and actually in reverse? I went out full. I was living a good life. I had everything. I had a wonderful family. I had what I wanted. I went out full, and God brought me back empty. That is a skewed perspective because every good gift and every perfect gift, every good thing in your life comes from above. He said, I went out full and God brought me home empty. Verse 21, why then call ye me Naomi? I'm not pleasant. Seeing the Lord hath testified against me and the Almighty hath afflicted me. She said, I'm broken. She had a skewed perspective. By the way, that's exactly what bitterness does. Bitterness always leads to blindness. When someone is walking in bitterness, they have major blind spots. Bitterness always leads to blindness. Naomi had a skewed perspective. She was blind. God's dealt very bitterly, bitterly with me. Last verse, verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem. And watch this. This is the last phrase we'll see. In the beginning of barley harvest. And that is a thread of hope. Because in the scripture, harvest and the barley harvest always speaks of joy. It speaks of the fact that God was about to restore food to Bethlehem. 
He was about to bring bread back to the house of bread. And he was gonna do a whole lot more than that for Ruth and provide her stability and a husband. Why? Uh, because God is a good God. And he's always in control and he's always working behind the season. And we see even in a discouraging opening with a lot of tragedy to the narrative, we see a thread of hope. It was barley harvest. Now, today, I believe the most important verse that we read, the most significant statement is when Ruth said, your God will be my God. Because that is the way to salvation. When we put our faith and trust in the one true God. And today, if you've never placed your faith in the one true God, I would love for you to do that today. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. The whole story of Ruth, the purpose of the story of Ruth is to talk about her lineage. It's to talk about her children. Why? Because her children are in the line of Christ. The whole story of the book of Ruth points to Jesus. And today, if you've never made that decision, that unwavering commitment that says, your God will be my God. I will worship the one true God. Today, you can place your faith in Jesus Christ. I want to read uh, these last verses today. We'll be done. Romans 10, 9 says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so today, whether you're watching online or you're in the room, today can be the day of salvation for you by placing your faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.